This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. And uh, joining me on the phone from uh, Nazareth, it is a singer, Dan McCafferty. And I know that Dan has uh, left the band and they got a new guy in, but I just cannot say former singer of Nazareth. So I'm just going to say Dan McCafferty from Nazareth. He's got a new album called Last Testament. It is a solo album. We will talk about that and all kinds of other stuff. But before we get to that, just a couple of comments of stuff in the news. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne, Le Seul et Unique, the uh, one and only Ozzy Osbourne has released a new song called Under the Graveyard featuring Duff McKagan and uh, Chad Smith on uh, bass and drums, and uh, guitarist Andrew Watt. Well, you know, listen, uh, I've heard the song, obviously, uh, a few times. It's a good tune. Is it a a catchy single with a big sing-along chorus? No. Uh, Is it a very competent song? You know, when you say the word competent, it almost sounds insulting, but I'm not trying to be insulting. Uh, Anyway, it's it's a decent song. Is it something that I'm really in the mood to listen to these days? No. I mean, I've gone down the rabbit hole of Thunder and Huey Lewis and Foreigner, so Ozzy's a little out of my purview right now. It's a very competent song. Uh, Just a a little disappointed that Zach Wilde is uh, not on it. Uh, no disrespect to Andrew Watt. He, he's a great producer, great uh, guitarist. Uh, he, he, the, the song sounds great. It's got a, a different sort of texture with him playing. Um, I, I'm just a Zach guy. That, that's all. Uh, zero disrespect meant to Andrew. Um, I'm, I'm just a Zach guy. So I'm just going to keep repeating that until the end of the episode. Uh, the other thing that's in the news is the Black Crows. Yes, the Black Crows, uh, the band that opened up for... Trying to think, was it Aerosmith back in the day? Yeah, I think it was Aerosmith that I saw them with, right? Yeah. Anyway, uh, they have uh, reunited, and by uh, reunited, we mean uh, the two brothers, not the entire Black Crows uh, from back in the day, but uh, they are going to uh, hit the road in 2020 and play the entire Shake Your Money Maker album, plus uh, other selected hits. Uh, hopefully, hopefully. They will stick to playing the songs and then move along, you know, in and out, let's go. Because the uh, Black Crows of that that era, the 1990s, early 90s, with uh, songs like Jealous Again, Twice as Hard, Hard to Handle, uh, She Talks to Angels, and and so many more, um, terrific. Absolutely terrific. Loved them. Um, But then they became this sort of obtuse... Um, jam band, and it was just like, oh my god, why is Jealous again 87 minutes long? Could you can you just fucking play the song? Um, but listen, uh, they're back, and oh, and here's what I want to say about that. The uh, you know, I posted it on my Twitter, and I saw other places posting it, and right away I saw fans go, it's a cash grab, it's a cash grab, it's a horrible cash grab. Yeah, <laughs> it's a cash grab. It's a business. It is the uh, music business. People are in it to make money. Yeah. Uh, just like uh, when I or you or anybody else shows up to work in the morning, we don't do it because we want to volunteer. You know, you know, you never see a doctor walk into the hospital and go, hey, I'm here to volunteer this year. Don't pay me. Or a mechanic shows up at the shop and, hey, I'm just going to fix a whole bunch of Volkswagens and go home. Don't don't pay me. We all go to work to get paid. 
So we're all cash grabbers. I, I don't understand. I don't understand that 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 insult or that it's a cash grab. Yeah. Guess what? When when Def Leppard went on the Hysteria tour, cash grab. When uh, Ozzy went on the uh, Diary of a Madman tour, guess what? Cash grab. <laughs> when uh, when Paul McCartney does a a, a tour of select dates, mm, cash grab. Billy Joel at Madison Square Garden, the residency. Mm, cash grab. Okay. <laughs> I, I just don't understand why fans uh, say that or why they think it's an insult. I mean, you know, when iPhone puts out the new iPhone 11 XYZ PPP whatever. Cash grab. <laughs> that's just what it is. That's That's sort of how the whole thing works. So uh, kudos and congratulations for the Black Crows or, you know, the two brothers uh, getting back together and uh, giving the fans what they want. Uh, as long, uh, for this fan, as long as it's not a, a jam band, I don't need the 17-minute version of She Talks to Angels. I don't. I don't. And I'm sure most people here don't either. Anyway, uh, without further ado, here is the one, the only, legendary singer with a new album called Last Testament. It is Dan McCafferty. We are uh, speaking with the singer Dan McCafferty. The new album is, of course, called Last Testament. And as we say in Montreal, Dan, uh, bonjour. Comment allez-vous? How are you? I'm pretty good. Bonjour. Bonjour, yes. So happy times in Montreal. Yeah, you know, just, just to quickly talk about Nazareth for a second, Montreal and Quebec was very much a great territory for the band, and we can maybe get into that indeed. later. Yeah, it was. It was indeed. L- let me let me get into this album here. Uh, first of all, uh, the title "Last Testament" is that just yeah. uh, is that just a title, or a, as a fan, or as a, a reader, are we supposed to read something into that in terms of is this sort of the the last hurrah, the last album you're making? You know, like your last will and testament. This is it, or is it just a title? Well, I'm, ho- I'm hoping it's not. But uh, as seventy three year old guy, you don't get a lot of chances at recording another album, you know what I mean? But uh, I'd like to make Last Testament two or three, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So but my philosophy's always been to look forward as opposed to look back. So. To look back. So so talk to me about making this la- this this solo album. The last one was in nineteen eighty seven, so it's been quite yeah. a while. Uh you well, have- I was Sorry, carry on. No, no, no. I was just going to... Well, in fact... No, uh, I was just saying that the last solo album I did uh, was a long time ago because Nazareth worked 24, you know, 24-7, you know. So it was very occasional that I got a chance to do something else. Not that I minded that at all, you know, but it was... Uh, it's, it's been such a long time. But then because of health reasons, I had to leave uh, the Naz and... Uh, that gave me time to look around and see what I wanted to do, you know. So, so talk to me about this because I, I listened to uh, I've listened to the album. It's a, it's a great album, um, but there is you know there there is sort of a, a, a plaintive kind of sound through it. Well, it. It's very I don't want to say it's dark, but it's you know it's it's not pop music. Talk to me about the sound and the direction you took on this one. Well, the so I mean I've had a long life and a very happy one in music. And I wanted to reflect on it, and I wanted to be happy about it, but I also wanted to tell the truth. I wanted it to be a very honest album. You know, I wanted it to be by proper instruments and 
you know, neurosynthesizers and stuff like that. I know that sounds a bit old-fashioned these days, but uh, I was, uh, I wanted it to be an honest album. And at the time, that was going through my mind were these songs. And uh, so that's kind of, that's kind of what you got. <laughs> no, it turned, it turned out great. Now, are these songs that, that you've collected over the years, over these last 30 years from the last solo album, said, okay, now it's time to put them out? Or did you actually sit down sort of last year and say, okay, it's time to write a new album and let's get to it? Pretty much it was a case of, uh, when, when I met up with Carl, Carl Marek, the guy I did the album with, I met him years ago and they put a band together for me for a private gig I was doing. And we, we, we saw some, you know, amigos in music, if you like, you know, you're a lot younger than me, obviously. But um, and we started talking over the years and over the months, and I started to, I did a session for him on one of his tracks. And then we started, I kept in touch. And when the, the, we started writing together, and eventually we got this whole bunch of stuff together, so that's when we thought, like, let's make a record. And that's kind of what we did, really. Um, and and it, it, was, it was a great album to make. It was because there was no pressure. It wasn't like making a Nas album, you know, because, I mean, in, with Nazareth's big, big expectations, and, you know, you've got an image and you've got a monster to feed, you know. But uh, with this one, it was, uh, it was more or less what we wanted to do, which was... Um, was the mother moonflower? It was it was a kind of relief, if you want. There was a lack of pressure in making the record. But it was a lot of fun. Oh yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> now you know you mentioned uh, the Naz and, and and stuff. Is there was there a conscious decision to make sure that you didn't write songs that were too reminiscent of the Nazareth sound, so that oh, it wouldn't get boxed oh, in? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I did not want to make. A cheapo, cheapo son of another album. I've heard so many of them, you know, guys leave a band and make a sort of, you know, clone song thing. I hate that. <laughs> so, I mean, there is a couple of songs, I think, on the album that could have been Nas songs. I mean, looking back at my baby, things like that could have been in Nazareth records. But not the way we approached them, you know. But I really did not want to make a cheapo version of Nazareth, that would have been appalling. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, and, and and of course, you're, you're sort of damned if you do and damned if you don't. If you sort of oh, do yeah, that, yeah. the fan base is like, oh, hey, man, he's still doing what he does best, and if you don't do it, they're like, oh, so it's, right, it's good. That you... himself, I know. I know. But I'm sorry, for, for my own sake, if you like, I was, uh, I really couldn't make a cheapo Nazareth album. I just, it wasn't in my soul to do that, I'm sorry. Well, which well, you... Which is good. Now, you also had Pete Agnew on this. So, so talk to me about yeah. the relationship, because you, here you get into 2013, and you, you had some health issues, and, and, and I believe, actually, they happened in Canada, if I'm not mistaken. No, it didn't actually happen in Canada, but... Well, one of them uh, did. No. Oh. Yeah, but I've, I've had... It started to get worse on a Canadian trip. It's a, it's a condition called COPD. It's a lung disease. And it started to get worse out in Canada, so... I had to come home, and I tried to carry on, and then I found out that I was, I was, I wasn't right because 
we were doing gigs and I couldn't do it. I couldn't sing for an hour and a half anymore. Uh, so I was disappointing myself. I was disappointing the band and I was disappointing the people, most of all. Which is just not right. You don't, you don't do that when you know you can't. So I, you know, I decided it was time to throw in the towel, if you like, you know. When you had the discussion with the band, was it a discussion where you said, "Okay, guys, you got to go on without me because we, you've still got a great brand. You've got all these great songs. Fans deserve to hear them." Or did they just take off and go and and, and you know, was it was it sort of planned where you said, "Go do this," or did they just go do this no, and you went, "Hey, I was on a day of a gig in Switzerland, <clears throat> and I saw the boys doing. I said, "Look, boys, I can't do this anymore, but there's no reason." for there to be no Nas. I mean, Nas has went through quite a lot of personnel on its day. But the brand, the, you know, the, the feeling has always been the same, you know. So uh, it was like that. And the boys sat there and everybody was upset. Of course, we're all pretty close mates. Um, but eventually, you know, they went through t- trials and tribulations trying to find someone else. And they tried one guy that didn't work out so well. Then they got the guy that they've got now, Carl. He's working it fine, so everybody's happy, you know. It's uh, and as you say, I mean, the band's musical history is so long. I mean, if you just want a good night out or listening to good old Nas songs, they're the boys for you. You know what I mean? So you can understand why the people still want to see Nas. You know, I, I mean, I can understand that completely. So. Um, and then it was a very, it was very sad for me. And I, mean, I still miss the guys every day. We keep in touch. And Pete and I have been friends since we were in school at five years old. So I speak to him regularly, and we see each other now and again. So when I was doing the record, I had to throw in a bit of Nas, you know. And it was uh, Kaya, the guy I was doing the album with, was telling me that his uncle, who's Czech, went uh, from the Czech Republic, has turned the bone in Nazareth with sunshine. And so we peaked him in one Saturday morning and we just did it live. Kai on piano, Pinai singing. We did three versions of it and we just kept the one that we kept. We said, that's the one and stuck on the album for the Nas fans, really. (laughs) And for ourselves and for Kai's uncle. So that's how that happened. And it's a great sounding song. Um, I think so too. It sounds like a bunch of guys sitting in a bar, which well, was uh, kind of the sound. Yeah, which was kind of the sound I was looking for on the album, anyway. You know, apart from some of the the larger production numbers. I mean, it, it does have a. It does have a. How can I put this? And, and, and please, I don't mean this in a, in a negative way, but it has sort of a campfire sound, like just people sort of hanging oh, around. Yeah. You know, and, and it's it's very charming in that sense. Um, uh, I, I'll, I'll ask you just real quick, and, and you can tell me to bugger off a bit. But but how is your health these days? Are how are you doing? Are you doing okay? Uh, good days and bad. I'm uh, in fact I'm going to hospital tomorrow for a couple of tests, and hopefully there's an operation they can do by the end of the year, which will help a lot. Uh, and apart from that, just getting on with it every day, like everybody else does. Let me ask you this, um, uh, and I'm going to start going back a little bit into the history. In um, yeah. when when was it here? In 1993, I guess it was. Uh, Guns and Roses, who were one of the biggest bands at that time, put out yeah. an album called Spaghetti Incident. Obviously, you've heard of it, and they cover yeah. Hair of the Dog. 
Um, first of all, what do you think of that version? But also, more importantly, in terms of your band, your brand, your songwriting, how important was it for them to cover that? Did it give you a whole new fan base and expose you to a whole bunch? Of, or was it just like, eh, it happened and we moved? How important was it, or not important, for them to cover? Huge. Okay, so talk, talk to me a little bit about that. That was huge. I mean, it was like, we, we met the guys many years before that. We were playing in Los Angeles, and they came to see us. Nice bunch of boys. Tried uh, away for a while. And they were fans of us, they were fans of Queen. They were fans of all the young rock bands. You know, they liked the Who, and they liked all the bands, the 70s bands at that time. So eventually, you know, the things turned to what they did, and uh, we got a couple of quotes from Axel saying they liked me singing and stuff like that, you know. And uh, when they did hear the dog, of course it changed things because their fans, oh, now they're at three of them. And checked us out. So uh, just and this, uh, this was a, it was a turning point because it turned a lot of young people onto older bands like Queen, like because they've had a resurgence as well. All the bands that Guns N' Roses like got a little boost, which was great for us. And I will thank the boys for for it. So then it, it did, of course, open new doors. And then years later, uh, Metallica started covering uh, "Please Don't Judas Me," which is also yeah. Which is also very important. Yeah. But let me let, let me get and well, I'll maybe we'll talk about Metallica in a second. But let's talk about that album uh, from 1975, "Hair of the Dog." Um, yeah. So it's got "Please Don't Judas Me." Obviously, it affects Metallica. "Hair of the Dog" obviously yeah. affects the people in uh, Guns N' Roses. Uh-huh. But it's got the song right, "Love Hurts," the Everly it's Brothers cover. Yeah. Um, yeah, talk to me a little bit about. Pardon me. <laughs> I'm so glad we made that album. Yeah, that album. Yeah. Uh, well, in fact, I, I do want to get a, a historical perspective on on what that album means to you. But I, I want to know about this song because we all know "Love Hurts." We know that it's that it's the version that it's it's the version. It's been oh, covered yeah, by other people, yeah. but is it is that something that the band that you and and Pete and everybody said, "Hey, we got to do this song," or is it one of those where the record company said, "Hey, you sons of a gun are going to cover." a song and this is how did that sort of come about because it ended up being a stamp on the band right we, we bumbled into it we were, at a, we were recording the album and it was, we decided to go a little bit heavier and that was Manny's first production and uh, we, were, we had all the songs pretty much together and we fancied we listened to Graham Parsons and Emily Harris doing Love Hearts and we thought, it'd be nice to do a version of Love Hearts. So Pete and I went up to Scotland to attend a wedding of a friend of ours. And when we came back, Manny and Darl at the time, I did a drum and guitar track for Love Hearts. But they'd done it in the same key as Emily Harris. So I was kind of stuck with that. So when we did it, we did the song, finished off the album, and we sent it across to the States. And we put in Love Hearts as a B-side. And we were with A&M Records at the time. And Jerry Moss listened to it and went, we had uh, another track on the album. And he said, that's got to come off. And Love Hearts got to go on. And we thought, okay, you know. And thank God he did. Because uh, thereby hangs the tale. 
it was just a piece of luck that we bumbled right into. But that's the, <laughs> serendipity is is sort yeah, of the, the magic ingredient for, for music. A lot of people, when you say, hey, yeah. tell me about your biggest hits, and they're like, well, I wrote it on a cocktail napkin in four minutes yeah, while I, I was waiting for supper at a restaurant. You're like, what? <laughs> and it became, I know, became, but it's, it's true, though. Right. It's, uh, what was I going to say? It's, if I'm being honest, I look back, because when we were making the record, obviously, Kaya and the, the young engineer, Duncan, I was doing the record, but they were asking me also some nice questions. You know, when you get some downtime and stuff. And I was telling them all these war, war stories, I suppose. And it's true. Most of my life, I've mumbled from one thing to the other, musically. You know, you mumble into this. Oh, I like that. I'll do that. Because we've always had the choice of, or we've always had the front of honesty to do, to record what we liked to record. You know, we've never been pushed into a corner and said, you must record this. You know, we've never had to do that, fortunately. So, uh, anyway, I, I was... I found my career, a lot of bumbling goes on, you know, and, and I think that's true of a lot of musicians, to be quite honest. I agree. A lot of it is very serendipitous. I mean, you look, you even look at the first couple of Black Sabbath albums, they recorded them like in, you know, crazy, like nine days or nine hours or whatever oh, yeah. it was, and then it ends up being these massive classics. But l let me just focus on Hair of the Dog, that album, for a second. Sure. Uh, you know, Deep Purple's Roger Glover had been producing you or helping out producing you. And on this yep. one, you go, okay, we're going to turn it over to Manny. And right. I've always felt uh, as a fan that you need outside ears. If you, if you're, if you have a band member doing it, it becomes too self-indulgent or too whatever. But yet mm -hmm. in this case, it worked. Uh, talk to me about that decision to turn it over well, to a band member, not to get a a Bob Ezrin or, or or an Eddie Kramer or, or whoever was at the at the time. Just talk to me about that. Because we'd worked with Roger and then we'd done three albums with him, of which we're all very proud of and we liked. But we found that on the last one, he wanted to start kind of formulating. But, you know, but that's not Nas. We were going, well, yeah, it's now. You know, he's some, you know, being in Deep Purple, I think, they liked Deep Purple, you know, should be Deep Purple. You know what I mean? <coughs> Excuse me. And we were always kind of in the favor of changing a little, freshening it up a little bit. Because I don't like listening to the same thing all the time. So you give the people that listen to you the same intelligence you have. And, you you know, you want a little uplift, a little change down again. So anyway, the, we went back to uh, listening to the tracks that we had done and the stuff we had written. And Roger couldn't do that, and we wanted to change from Roger anyway. And we talked with Manny, and we, we spent a lot of time together writing these songs. So it was a case of, yeah, let's give Manny a shot and we'll see how it goes. Because he was super keen, and we were super behind him at the time. So it was like, uh, it really wasn't a problem. You know, it was, we kind of had a plan together of what we wanted to do. So... It seemed like a natural relation to us at the time. Uh, so on we went, carried right on, and thankfully, thankfully we did. It was one of the better selling albums. Well, it sounds great, and of course you used them for successive albums after that. Um, yeah. I'm going to make a statement, and you tell me if it's fair or not. But uh, but for me, Nazareth is not a singles band. You're not you're not a a top ten kind of you know Madonna kind of band. You're it's no. all about the live performance. Uh, talk to me about 
about that and and having a career as a successful live band because I've seen the band myself, and I always walk out of there going, "Holy, f-, you know." Uh, it, talk to me about being too. yeah i mean talk to me about about that and and what it was like to sort of build your career being a live band and just getting out there and not impressing people necessarily with i have got we've got 10 top 10 singles but man we've got a live show that you just cannot miss right well i, I think that's what it was in those days there was there was no mtv right there was only radio really and there was uh and the music press, you know, which was a bit, you know, there was a de- the, the sort of darlings of the music press, music press, and the, the bands, everybody hates music press, you know, so it was, it was kind of weird. So y- your, your choices were, you toured and made records, and that's what we did. I mean, us, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, Jethro Tull, Genesis, everybody that had a guitar or a drum went on the road. That's what people did. And it, and it honed your craft. It made you better at what you were. Uh, you, you know, better at what you were doing with practice and, and work, basically. So uh, that's kind of how it was done in those days. So uh, I, I think if you look back, all the bands you were talking about, your Black Sabbath and Deep Purples and stuff, that's how we all did it. So... I just think it was part for the course, if I'm being quite honest. Well, it, it really was. Um, let, let me ask you this in terms of current day, 2019. We know you, you pulled out of Nazareth with touring because you were having issues. We, we spoke about it. Are you going to be doing more shows now? Are you able to go out and do shows? Do you well, want to tour this I, I, album? I would like to. That'd be a case of I would have to... Well, first of all, I'd have to see how the operation went, as they say. Uh, also, uh, I, I think I would have to do like a, like we used to do in the old days, like a, an old uh, best of evening, you know, like another three singers maybe, and go out in the road with a band. And I would do, I don't know, half an hour, and everybody else would do half an hour. And it would be a, a variety evening of uh, a mixture of maybe new and old artists and but the thing is, that's up to promoters, man. I mean, I never, I'm never sure how to do these things. But that seems to me would be a good idea, you know. Um, <laughs> I'll give you a couple more questions because when, I know we have 25 minutes, but I just want to ask you this. Uh, in uh, June of this year, 2019, it was reported that Nazareth was among uh, many artists that lost their material in this great 2008 Universal Music Fire uh, what do you know about it? How much did you actually lose? Is it true? Did you lose nothing? Did you lose everything? And when did you finally find out? Did you find out in 2008, or did they tell you, whoops, hey, it's in well, the newspaper? It's, it's still, by the way, it's, that's still running around like you wouldn't believe. There's more rumours to that than there is about the whole house down the road. I mean, it's a... Uh, I really don't know exactly what was lost and what was... Because nobody's holding up yet. I'll be quite honest with you. So we'll just have to wait and see how, when that eventually ends, what the actual damage is and what, you know, what will happen. You know, the last people to find out about these things, of course, are the artists. You know, and, and <laughs> just, so many, just like the last so people to get paid are the artists. 
<laughs> There's so many walls of oil to go through that you just really don't know, you know. So it's fair to say that as we're speaking today, you have not been given an account of or, or a letter saying we've lost a master's to this album, this album, this album. So you, <laughs> no, you're. I, have not. <laughs> I don't even know how to react to that. That's. No, I don't know. Yeah, you see, <laughs> apart from getting terribly angry, it's kind of shitty. I, I, let's let's be honest. I really don't know how to either. Uh, and then the, the the last thing I just I just want to circle back to the album, uh, Last Testament. There there was some uh, traditional instrumentation on that, or or bagpipes, oh, yeah. for the lack of it, for the lack of a better word, bagpipe. Uh, talk to me about that decision to to use sort of that traditional instrumentation and use the bagpipes and use what what is culturally uh, you know uh, significant or appropriate to you. Yeah, um, well, I'm, I'm Scottish. I'm very proud of it. Uh, I'm not a raving nationalist or anything like that. Uh, uh, I do think our music is. Our Celtic music has spread all over the world and influenced a lot of people throughout Canada, America, you know, you know and the bagpipes were a very well, international instrument, not only Scotland, Greek, Greece, Romans, they all had them. And I just think they've got that sort of thing, that mystical thing about them that seems to, to suit our country and suit Celtic music. And we were writing a song about Scotland. And we did homes with the artists, but it's not about Scotland, it's about anywhere. Uh, we decided, yeah, let's really go for the bagpipes with them. Instead of just hinting at them, let the people hear some proper bagpipes. So we did. <laughs> yeah, which makes sense. And by the way, my <coughs> my wife is of Scottish descent, and her mother lives oh, in Scotland right now. And my daughter's middle name is Skye, named after the Isles of Skye. Oh, and of See, and it's funny because I was listening to the album, preparing for it for this interview, and my wife came up to me and she goes, "Because I, I didn't tell her who I was interviewing." She goes, "Is the guy you're interviewing Scottish?" I went, "Yeah, yeah, he is." She goes, "Oh, <laughs> so, so there you I go, uh, uh, Dan. An absolute pleasure." Uh, oh, too, sir. Yeah, as we say in Montreal, merci beaucoup. It's it's, it's great, and it's great to see you making music again. You know, when when we heard that you were. Uh, retiring was like, oh, you can't retire everything, and now you got a new album, and it's like, ah, oh, okay, good. So that's great. You know, thank you very much for your time. Really, absolutely, and anytime. Love and peace to you and your family, man. You too. Cheers. Now, bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk.